Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Lisa Cato, the founder of the Business Catalyst and known to many as the Queen of Automation. Lisa has an impressive background in business automation and has been working with small businesses for over 20 years. And in this episode, we'll explore her unique approach to automation and learn how it can help businesses to grow by freeing up valuable time, building stronger client relationships and increasing their revenue. So Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, Alexis. So lovely to be here. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to this because you've always like, we, you know, whenever we've we've known each other quite a while, uh, whenever we talk about uh, process and efficiency and so on, we always geek out on this topic. Um, but for, for people that perhaps uh, haven't met you before, uh, please share a bit about your journey from running your own businesses, that I believe, at age 19 uh, to essentially becoming a pioneer in small business automation. Take us through that potted history. Oh, careful what you wish for, my friend. So um, <laughs> I did. I had my first business at 19, which was in the late 80s, early 90s. This is the point mm-hmm. at which you say, oh, but you don't look old enough. Well, exactly. Um... I, it, I was just about to say it, Lisa. <laughs> It was, I've been a bit of an opportunist, I think, uh, like you, a serial entrepreneur. It's like one of those, oh, that's a good idea. And then you just kind of dive in head first without seeing if there's a lifeboat anywhere and just just go all in on it. And that's kind of what's yeah. happened throughout my career. So my very first business was, uh, was at the height of the rave game when I uh, owned London's only roller rink. And we converted it into a rave venue for up to 3,000 people on a Friday and Saturday night running 6 a.m. pay parties, basically, uh, which was very, very lucrative in its day. Very wearing, working nights all the time. We also ran it as a roller rink in the week. So that was fun. Um, I went from there to running an animation art gallery where we sold uh, we we were European distributors for Hanna-Barbera and Warner Brothers. We were Disney approved. We were global distributors for Pink Floyd, the wall animation. And, and at the time of the the early mid 90s, it was very they were really collector's items. I then um, got involved in software. This is when I kind of I think started geeking out. So we're talking about dial up modems and floppy disk days, which is when I really yeah. started my digital marketing journey of placing advertisers in third-party software. So things like the Adidas ball and the FIFA game, uh, all the branding and Sony Gran Turismo, wherever you saw a brand in a product, we were probably the people that put them there. We were certainly the first. And that led on to people like Unilever going, we don't want to be in someone else's game. We want our own game. So we made a game for the Pepper Army brand for Unilever, uh, which led on to making OnPack and impact promotional software, things like CDs on cereal boxes for Kellogg's and Quaker and Nestle and McVitie's and all the big brands, which led on to making PlayStation and Xbox games for uh, the publishers in the States. Um, and Adidas retained us. It was in the days before digital rights. So that was a good fun. And then off the back of that, I kind of retired in my mid-30s, which seemed like a good idea at the time, but I wasn't quite ready to be put out to pasture. Um, and then about 2011 2012 I started making myself busy in the world of automation it's like I know marketing I'm a bit of a geek and the the world of automation was just kicking off uh, about 10 ish years ago uh, of being able to save time get organized and grow sales by joining up and creating joining up software and creating really slick 
systems and process uh, of passing data along so that everyone's having a good experience. Love that. And so um, what was it really that kind of crystallized for you in terms of specifically creating uh, the business where you spend most of your time now, which is the business catalyst? What was kind of what, what crystallized for you, like why that and the particular sort of stack of services that you now provide? Well, uh, 10 years ago, I was doing a lot more around marketing. Um, mm-hmm. There were a lot less channels, Snapchat and all the other nonsense didn't kind of exist. We were very much, yeah. I think we were just coming out of MySpace at the time, God help us. So um, <laughs> I was doing a lot around there of, you know, tracking attribution, making sure people are getting the best out of their marketing spend and actually running the channels for people, best practices and getting engagement, that kind of thing. And I went to a conference in San Francisco uh, run by a digital marketer and a guy called Richard Lidner got on the stage and he was talking about email marketing, which I was also doing from about 2008, 2009 with a bit of software called Myema at the time. And he was talking about how um, he spent two hours every evening reviewing how the email providers allowed you to get into the inbox versus the spam folder. Um, and I'm like, I don't have two hours per platform to really stay on top of this. I need to really be an expert at something. And at the time I just discovered what was then Infusionsoft and is now known as Keep. Mm. And it was like, it, it was like a computer game that had been made just for me. It was like everything that I ever wanted in one place, I could completely geek out in it, really get results for myself and my clients. And I decided that this was what I wanted to do was automation and surround myself with people who are really great at running social media channels or doing paid traffic or building websites. I didn't need to do any of that. I just needed to have really great people and I needed to be really brilliant at what I was doing. So that's when I decided to niche into automation. Love that. And so um, when you started in that, that business automation space, like that, that's where, as you say, you came across Infusionsoft and Keep and started to geek out on, out on that. What was it all parts of the business that you then started to work on? Was it, did it specifically start out on email marketing and then kind of grew from there? Um, cause I, you know, I, I know from my experience working at Lita that you bring so much experience to all aspects of, of business. Was it that you particularly kind of started with email marketing and then it grew? Well, um, initially it's obviously finding your way on what you're good at because email marketing brings itself to email copy and creating engaging copy and all the rest of it so uh, I moved away from creative and traffic and was very much on the systems and automation side so what what we found was uh, which was also where I learned I learned this at Keep in the early days was how to build a customer journey And what is a customer's journey through a business? So looking at what was originally lifecycle marketing, now also referred to as lifecycle automation, um, which is looking at the journey through a business. Where are the conversion points from when somebody first raises their hand and goes, hi, I'm interested in your product, through to through uh, the marketing, into the sales, into closing them, fulfilling against them and then getting them to refer you. So we break, we, we break everything down to those stages and look at a business and go, where do you need to bring attention to your business in order to get the best results on either saving you time or increasing your sales? So it's kind of different for every business. It didn't really start with email marketing. It, it started with, with marketing generally of like people capturing nice. leads and having a form on their website with no follow-up. 
kind of thing. So it was, you know, yeah. plugging the holes. Yeah, you, you, you know that one, right? It's, uh, yeah. But yeah, I've got a formal I've done, done it many times in my own business, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> yeah, absolutely. And so um, uh, when we're talking about what's possible, you know, as you say, we're talking about Tituan looking at the full life's uh life cycle of the customer or the the customer's journey through and through a business um i know you know i know that this is something that you generally when working with clients you start with doing a customer journey mapping and getting all that clear and then working your way through and uh automating it improving it you've got some clients that you've been working with for many years when it comes to going through this process and putting into the automation so on, what's like the gold standard here? Like where, where's it possible to get to? Because um, I'm, I'm really interested in like, what's the impact of when that exists? So what does that look like? When that, and when that exists, what's the impact on the organization, particularly you know, given the nature of this podcast, like the stress levels for, for business leaders and their teams, how does, how does that change when they've got that in place? Well, the what would you consider the most valuable commodity for any business and or business owner apart from most code. valuable commodity their time yeah. time yeah exactly oh good <laughs> i'm glad i got that <laughs> yeah, one right. Alexis. got it right well cash because if you run out of cash we're all out of business uh but yeah it's time yeah. and um i've been quoted many times talking about my incremental is exponential because mm. what we think when we're saving time is I want an hour back or I never have time for this and actually the incremental is exponential five minutes saved 12 times a day is an hour mm. and that's do that every day five hours uh, a week 20 hours a month and if you extrapolate that across the whole year it's 240 hours a year which if you divide that by eight hours a day, that's 30 working days a year, just by saving five minutes, 12 wow. times. So whether that's three minutes here or eight minutes there, this whole snowball effect of automating the low value tasks uh, or the just the stuff that we think, oh, because it's the opportunity cost. It's while I'm doing that, I'm not doing something else. So that's really mm. the gold standard. And when you talk about gold standard, um, what we discovered over years, literally, of perfecting this is is the building of the d designing before you build. A good friend of mine in the States, uh, Brad Martineau, calls this blimplementing, which is blueprinting and implementing at the same time, which is literally create the plan. You don't build a house without a blueprint. So even though that blueprint might evolve, you might build an extension or a loft conversion, whatever it might be, is know what you want to achieve and what you need in order to achieve it and then build it rather than just having a good idea and diving straight in because that ultimately creates more work down the line as you're then trying to unpick it. Yeah, and sellotape holdings into automations together. Yeah, in, indeed. And and I suppose when it comes to automations, I think that's one of the areas that I think has always been um, a frustration or an interesting area for more, for me is that I think most people appreciate that, yeah, I should definitely, there are a lot of parts of my business that I can automate. There are processes that don't need to be done by humans. There are five minutes that can be saved here and there. And often what I've seen in my own businesses and others is that it starts off good like you can find quite big things that you can automate and suddenly you're like, wow, I've saved up so much time and everything works so much better. But what often happens is two things. One, 
the um, myriad of different things that have been set up, automations and so on, stop playing nicely together. So whether that's now you've got customers that are receiving um, one email campaign because they signed up for a webinar and then a separate email campaign because they have now since arranged a call with a member of your team and also they attended this other event. And so as a result, they're also getting these text messages and you keep on making them offers that they've already had or even bought products or they're being offered products that they've already bought before. Um, so you've kind of got that mess and I've seen that before. And then you've got the other one where actually, even if that's been well managed, you end up with a few key individuals. Sometimes it's the business leader, if they're a bit more of a geek for this, sometimes it's not ops manager or whatever, who they get it. They know how the patchwork works together and all the automations. But as soon as something goes wrong, they're the only person that can fix it. You know, when the error message drops into the email box because some, you know, zap has failed or whatever, like they're the only person that can, can deal with it. And yet, that's what I love when you say, you know, it's about making sure you've got that blueprint so that everything that you're implementing fits in nicely and is clear, right? So when you're working with clients to help them get to that point where you've got things automated in a manageable way, we don't have that conflicts and where it's able to be worked upon, improved upon, fixed when things go wrong. Like what does that, how does that show up for the business leader? Like perhaps give an example of one of your clients where, you know, what, what does that look like in, in real terms? I think, I think you're absolutely right. It's really important that uh, any business has complete autonomy in their systems and that they aren't creating a point of failure, whether it be with a service provider mm -hmm. or a member of staff who is the only person uh, that can drive the car. Because I don't know, something might happen like a global pandemic and knock something out. Uh, no yeah. one saw that one coming. So uh, what's really important is the documentation here as well. So when, when we build, we build the map, uh, we build the playbook. So we're very clear. We, we have a, a Lego model policy. Like when you uh, when you build a Lego galleon or Starship Enterprise, you have the picture, right? So we create the picture, which is the flowchart, and then you have the map inside, uh, which tells you which bag of Lego you need to to build out. So we we literally repeat that kind of process, so it's very modular, mm -hmm. and we can reduce uh, and eliminate uh, points of failure. But most importantly, is we document it. We know where where each automation starts. We know what the desired outcome is and we know where it finishes. And indeed, as you know, we document a lot of that inside Air Manual in order that it's accessible uh, for our clients to go when you want to add in a new event. This is how you do it. Checklist. Or if, you know, in the unlikely event that this goes wrong, this is where you should be looking for the solution so that it's it's really clear and visible uh, to everybody because there's nothing worse than a business being locked out. I've forgotten the exact question that you asked me. I think I went off. Uh, uh, whether it's perhaps a specific example of uh, a business that you've worked with and like what that, you know, perhaps the before and after picture of where okay. they were and where they got to in terms of what it feels like for them. Well, what it feels like for them, I've got a number of examples there. So, uh, for example, a training company that might have a series of classrooms webinars so I've got one that has 10 in the course of a year run monthly I've got another one that runs cohorts with 32 webinars that can be quite laborious to set up on the event of each cohort it can take hours and hours yeah. and hours and making sure that the right person's getting the right reminder to show up at the right event at the right time with the right resource um, so being able to automate something like that you bring it down to its simplest logic 
and being able to completely automate everything saves hours and hours and hours and clears the space for uh, people to build the relationships and and reduces the amount of inbound support. I haven't got the link to my call or when's this happening? So all of that automation. We've created uh, sales, automated sales responses or the means by creating an automatic, meaning that a human's involved versus a computer, giving them the means to follow up. So I've got one, uh, one client whose sales team were taking 20 minutes to an hour on every lead follow-up because there was a number of of, uh, different options. You know, it's like, I can't go into the details of it, unfortunately, but we managed to say... I can can share examples from my own experiences (laughs) because that's something that um, that we've had challenges with as well is like, you know, you have your sales call, the discovery call, and of course, there's a number of different potential outcomes. It might be that, oh, well, we're, you know, I've got to talk to my business partner about it or yes, I want to go ahead and I want to go ahead with package A or I want to go ahead with package B, but then there's this thing. And so it becomes complex and I've, I've seen it in my own business and others where it can easily, after the one sales call, you can have an hour or more of follow-up, right? And that means that there's only so many calls that your your team can do. What service. does that look like when you change that? Exactly. Well, it could be there's different services that are apparent depending on is the child an adult? Is it an adult or a child? Is it a gender thing? Is mm-hmm. it a service thing? So there's any number of permutations and combinations. So when we solve that in the sales follow-up, In one instance, uh, someone with a three-man sales team, I think we saved them about five hours a week per sales agent. So that was 15 hours worth of sales agent time that was relieved, which could be put into much better cash-earning use. So uh, there's that. There's bookkeepers who, when we pass transactional data directly into Xero or QuickBooks, so that the data is instantly there. There's reporting, whether it be on marketing sales or operations, having that dynamic information to be able to make intelligent decisions on what you're doing next, saving you an enormous amount of time of pulling spreadsheets, doing pivot tables, you know, all sorts of nonsense that we shouldn't be doing as business owners. So whether it be in marketing, sales, operations, finance, uh, you know, the leveraging of that time, I had one dental client who managed to alleviate the time, literally, of a full member of staff to be able to uh, to get on with more patient-facing relationship building wow. as a result of the underpinning automation we put in. So whether that's, you know, 20, 25,000 pounds a year worth of time saving by putting in automation. So there's there's quite significant uh, amounts of value at all stages of the the business's life cycle let alone the the customer's life cycle yeah i love that and as you say you're talking there you know essentially completely automating a, a junior member of staff's role so 20 pounds a year's worth of money saved but of course it goes beyond that because a um, you're not then like all the costs relating to that person, managing them and if they leave, they're rehiring and so on. You're saving all of that as well. So you could probably either double it or certainly add 50% in terms of other people cost manager and so on. Um, but then also it occurs to me like the, um, the impact on the team and, and, and the impact on the customers, right? Because 
previously, if you had a junior member of staff doing that role, if they go sick, if they make a mistake, if they go on holiday, that has a material impact on the customer and that customer's flow through that organization has an impact on the rest of the team who then have to try and cover it or uh, support that person or whatever. For, for when you take, say, a dental practice, what does that mean for you know, practice owners and the dentists and so on when all of that like all the stuff that honestly they don't want to touch, right? <laughs> uh, in the case of uh, dent uh, dental practitioners, but of course that kind of goes for most industries. Most of us, well, I'd say, I guess if I was to say all of us as business leaders are not in it for the admin. We, you know, we don't build the business. <laughs> it's like, I just want to, ideally, if I could spend all day like sending quotes, sending invoices, chasing payments, like <laughs> that isn't what we're in it for. And so as a result, when that stuff gets automated, and as you say, those five minutes here and there and everything, when that's sorted, does that mean that the, you know, what, what does that mean then for that, that practice owner? I can imagine that for them, they, you know, it reduces the stress because they don't need to worry about these things and they're not having to do it themselves or they're not having to hire people to do it. How does it, how, how do they, what changes into what they then have to manage, right? Because you could argue it's like, oh, but doesn't, haven't they now just got a new thing to manage, except that now it has a login rather than a face? <laughs> well, um, in this specific instance of dental practice, we've, we've innovated something called the ideal patient journey, which is specifically mm -hmm. for appointment based bricks and mortar businesses. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that instance, they are very, very client facing. There is no avoiding the number of appointments and people coming and going, how they need to be served and personalities involved both in-house and with the patients. So being able to alleviate a lot of the admin tasks, uh, notifications, making sure people have got appointments when they've got a point, when they need appointments and for for practice owners, they what we have experienced as we've developed this over the last couple of years is they're losing a shed load of money because people are the, yeah. the staff don't have time to follow up on the treatment plans that have gone out there. The staff don't have time yeah. to follow up on the leads that they're paying for to come in from Google and Facebook. So they're essentially literally not just leaving money on the table, but they are actually flushing it down the toilet. So. Uh, in the instance of, of dental practices who are incredibly busy, they have found that they are able to serve their patients better, uh, get better referrals as a result, retention, repeat business, and have happier patients that aren't going to the dental practice down the road. They've got staff that stay with them longer so that recruitment becomes less of an issue because they're not feeling like they're stressed. I had a call with a dental practice this morning and we were laughing about you know, boiling the kettle and making a cup of tea all in the same session rather than boiling the kettle, coming away, forgetting, yeah. going back, reboiling the kettle. You know, it's just just stuff like that, where if you've got happy staff, it's a bit like happy wife, happy life. Right. You've got happy staff. You've got a happy practice. You've got happy patients. And when the staff are feeling supported by the business owner mm -hmm. who's investing in the systems and processes, they're going to make their jobs easier, more enjoyable then, you know, that without without staff, you don't have a business. So, you know, yeah. unless you want to do everything yourself, which means you're completely nuts. Um, so the kind of impact that this has on being able to grow a business for business owners, it releases us up to have 
the time to think about our businesses. We're paid to think in our businesses. We're not paid to do mm. necessarily in our businesses. And I know for sure being in a business that heavily is an operational business in the sense of we're building operations out for other people. The minute yeah. I go into that, the minute I go into tactical or operations, that's it. Strategic thinking time is history. It isn't happening today, mm. Get, getting my head back into it. So by getting so much of the ops out of the way, it clears the space for more strategic thinking time on how I want to grow and evolve my business. Nice. I really love that because I, I think that's, that's something that um, I didn't appreciate when we first went into the kind of air manual you know, process improvement space for businesses was that actually I think for some people there's a fear of where will I, what will I spend the time on when I, when I free up my time from stuff what and I delegate, like, what will I do instead? Yeah. And, and what's interesting is that I've kind of seen it myself on my own business and life and, and so on through osmosis and, and, and sort of through slow evolution. But then I've seen it with clients where we've made sudden differences where we're able to free up lots of time exactly in the same ways that you guys are doing with automation. And what's amazing is that in general, the business owners do do better work, like a better quality activity. They will spend time strategically when the time is then freed up. But you have to free up big chunks um, and that uh, uh, over a consistent period of time. And then as you say, and then you have to make sure that you prioritize it because the temptation will always be to get stuck into the operations. Like your to do list will will beat your strategic thinking if you let it. And I always think that that's really interesting is that 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 weird fear of, oh, but what will I do instead? And yet, as you say, hopefully you'll do one of the most important things that you can be doing, thinking. Exactly as you say. Like Have taking you ever the met time a board business owner? Exactly. It, yeah, it, it doesn't have like it's rare that you see a business owner goes, yeah, I freed up so much time and now I don't know what to do. I'm just sitting here like that doesn't happen. Like worst case scenario, I've seen business owners who then just kind of spend it on the golf course or whatever. And they're doing it because they enjoy that, although often they end up going back into the business because it's more exciting than, <laughs> than being on the golf yeah, course. Yeah, some so of them it, need coaching uh, in their value. It's like, oh, I only yeah, feel valuable if I'm busy. I can't possibly allow myself to have the time off. Yeah, indeed. And so I think the more that we're able to open up to the idea of, yeah, actually, the more thinking I can do, the more strategic I can be, the more impact I can have, the more value I can have. And as you say, like relating to what are your own values, what you want to be doing, I think it's really important. So when we're thinking about um, that journey, you know, once a business has got, once a business owner has got to a point where they've automated things effectively, they've got people doing things repeatedly and consistently and happily, and as a result, you know, they've got happy customers. They can get to that that end. But for some people who are thinking that feels so far away from where I am today, I know that you know you're a you're a process oriented person, so you have phases that you would go through. Where where would people start? And what, what would the series, series of stages that they'd go through to get towards that, that kind of goal? Um, I think for a business, the first place that you want to start is looking at all the stuff that you and your staff are doing that you're not having much fun at, that you'd much rather go and empty nice. the stuff out of the tumble dryer and clean out the cutlery drawer uh, rather than go and do that task. So there's a great exercise called Delegate to Elevate, which is out of the Gino Wickman book, Traction, 
where you basically have a four square grid and everything above the line is everything that you love or like doing that you're good at. And everything below the line is everything that you don't like doing that you might be good at or you might not be good at. So really having a look at those tasks that are below the line, those are the ones that you want to be looking at basically automating. And what you'll find is, is that the more you go through automation is that those tasks um, you'll prioritize those into the really time sucking, energy draining ones that you don't want to do. Um, and then you'll redo the exercise and it will be the the not so pain in the bottom ones that you that, you know, and some, you're then elevating yourself into hopefully not having to do any of them. So that would be the first exercise. We then uh, the first thing we do is we take a walk through someone's business with them of what they're already doing from first touch of client as I said we we break life cycle marketing is broken down into three phases which is uh, before somebody uh, hits the sales process of what you're doing to capture their details making sure you're segmenting them pushing them through your marketing nurturing them engaging them in maybe something like a webinar or in a sales call where you're then pushing them into the sales process where you're making the offer got the sales pipeline you've got the follow-up a sales pipeline for e-commerce is very different you know put it in the basket and check out versus a pipeline for uh, a higher value item which might be you know a few hundred or thousand pounds you know it's going to require a different process and what is that process and and the and the the, the accountability behind it out into fulfillment now the fulfillment is a, is a great place once somebody has closed and they've potentially signed the contract is that how can we make sure that we are all having a great experience those of us in the company and those of us uh, that are clients to make sure that you know in my business for example the minute someone signs a contract with us automation kicks in to create google drives project boards um uh, the uh, Clockify uh, project management, everything that goes into the creation of that client mm. in our systems happens at the literally the, the them clicking on sign. We don't do anything. We get a Slack message going, oh, you've got a new client onboarded, uh, yeah. which used to take us, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get all of that set up, which doesn't feel like a lot. But when you're thinking it's 15, 20 minutes that you don't have to do and you weren't doing something else, is um is quite can be quite significant and it's done the same way every time and doesn't require mm. human intervention so if anybody's off sick it's still happening um so yeah, once not, you get into fulfillment that. you then want to make sure that you are giving a great opportunity and there might be upsell opportunities and then there's the creating the referrals and testimonials and uh, reviews that are really important to go back to the beginning of the funnel but what what that does is is when we show this process of walking through the business, which we do as a visual flowchart exercise, right. there's a lot of conversation around the ideas that the business owners always wanted to do this, and I wish we could do that. So a lot of aspirational stuff comes in um, that we we put onto the map as aspirational. We're not actually doing it, and then we take a step back and we go, okay. Where are we going to get the most value on your time or your money? What reporting do we need to know that this is working or this is not working? Uh, and what technology do we need to make sure that we're delivering it effectively? What's fit for purpose? So that that would be the phase is first identifying that you have a problem and that you want to fix it with the tasks that are low level that you or the, the processes that are low level that you want to automate. Looking at what you're already doing and what you'd like to be doing. And then we go through building out 
there's bits that are going to bring you the best ROI as soon as possible. That makes sense. It absolutely does. I love that because I, I, I think I really like the combination of firstly starting off with stuff that you dislike and, and getting some of those tasks out and, and repeat and seeing that as a, a repeatable exercise. And then, as you say, doing the blueprinting of end to end. I love the fact that you're including stuff that's the um, the wish list, but then getting real and getting really specific of what's the bang for button, what do we put in first? And it's a bit like, as you say, automating some parts of uh, uh, the admin that might take you 15 minutes per new client, you'd only put that in place when that's the biggest bang for buck. Whereas if like there are parts of your process that are taking four hours and it's not with every new client, it's every single lead, then you go, well, yeah, that's that's causing more pain. So let's start there. And I think, you know, we've, we've talked many times before, it's like we've got a similar approach to that is, yeah, start with where you're going to get the biggest value first rather than trying to do everything uh, first time round, and so I, I think that's a really powerful approach. I think one one things that I think business leaders worry about is when we're when we're doing that. There's lots of different tools, and we've talked before about how some business leaders even are even concerned about how many tools that they're you know oh my adding yet another tool and oh you know how many tools is too many. And in fact, I did um, an episode for the podcast uh, uh, previously on literally just like how many tools is too many, but. One of the things that I love with your approach is that you, you know, the automation is often about joining those dots because different tools can provide their their specialities, right? And and particularly we've talked before about how at Airmanu we've just like released some major updates to our automation features, which means that we can support that uh, uh, better support that integration with other tools. Um, and I think I've, I've shared previously, like some ways in which we're making it within our own team where we've been able to make it more efficient and reduce mistakes and so on. But you must have worked on some examples with like various clients where they have a real, we'll call it a rich tapestry of tools, <laughs> um, which uh, could be read as absolute uh, mess. Uh, but uh, but of course, it often in those cases, Yes, it can feel a mess. Yes, there can be overlap. Yes, there can be all these issues. But often they're using those tools because, you know, then it's not for no reason. Like they're used because they do a really good job of particular things. How do you address that when you're starting to work with your clients? Like, um, how do you look at that? Because there'll be some clients say, oh, can't I just use one tool for everything, right? They would like, everybody would like to have just one tool that just does it all, please. And um... yeah, the hammer, screwdriver, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drill combination. Yeah. Well, you're right. The um, What's interesting is the number of business owners that come in thinking that they want to fix this problem. But actually, once we reveal that this would be a better problem to fix, they it's a it's a real it's a real uh, re- reveal for them. I can't think of the word surprise for them. They go, oh, yeah, that's what I need to fix. So what what people think they want and what they actually want uh, are sometimes yeah. um, not quite aligned. So. Uh, as far as different software, software is fit for purpose. So if, for example, you're selling products on your website and you're using something like WooCommerce, that's brilliant. That's your e-com software. It's taking transactions. It's taking payments. Do you want that as your account software? Mm-mm. You're going to want something like Zero or QuickBooks for that. So it's about the right software that is an expert at what it does. So whilst mm. we work with a sales and automation, a sales and marketing automation CRM, which is uh, Keep, formerly known as Infusionsoft, 
We also work with a lot of other operational CRMs. So you might have a solar panel installer or somebody like a, a tree surgeon or a plumber or an electrician who have field management software. They've got a CRM that's managing the properties and it has a very specific purpose, risk assessments, taking pictures. That's the CRM there. You might have a, a, a dentist, for example, who has their clinical software that's got all the clinical records on there. So you, you've got software that is fit for purpose. You've got scheduling software that will create appointments. You've got video conferencing software for having the webinars and the group meetings. So it's really about having a, having those nicely joined up, not with gaffer tape and sellotape, but nice, nice streamlined flow of data. So you're not having to re-enter it and the data is flowing through so that the overall system is the big tool and it's configured correctly so that it doesn't break and people don't fall out and it's all joined up. So that's you. Mm. there is very rare situations where you're going to have one bit of software in your company in the same way as you're using maybe Outlook or Gmail for your emails and calendar, uh, but you're using spreadsheets for something else. So we require different yeah. software for different reasons. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, and as you say, when you when you connect them up, it needs to be that uh, neat, graceful way in which the data is passing between it, because otherwise it just becomes a mess. And as you mentioned before, well documented. So it's clear what is happening and that the human understands that too, right? And the number of times I've seen automation set up, but the, the human who's operating it doesn't really know what's going on in the background, which means they might even duplicate that work, right? Like, because they don't, ah, oh, I didn't know that it was creating the invoice for me, but I needed to go to drafts. So as a result, I, you know, every single time I've been creating the invoice as well, like having that clarity. And I think, as you say, blueprinting, blueprinting that out, having it documented makes um, all of the difference. Um, we're, we're running on short on time. Like, uh, if I look at uh, for, for where people could, find out more uh, from you and where, where they would start some of the best resources, what would you recommend for a business leader that's looking to you know, save time and uh, reduce the stress in their business and so on and, and uh, find solutions for automation? What, where should they go? Well, they should come to me, clearly, <laughs> and have, have their customer journey mapped out for them um, so they can see the simplicity of the solution. Uh, we can be found at the business catalyst .co.uk. I think Ideal Customer Journey will also come to us as well. Check that redirects on. Um, so yeah, that's you want to start with the end in mind. You want to start with what you're look, what the outcome is that you're looking to achieve, and the simplest way uh, to get there. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, I'd highly recommend. Do you, you still offer um, Ideal cu um, Customer Journey kind of mapping sessions as well? Because I know that that was something we do. That a lot we do. Of we do have those as a standalone, uh, as a strategic piece to have a look at what your your business could look like joined up. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. So I, I know a lot of business owners, including um, many of our clients who have had that experience with you and uh, had a really good outcome in terms of getting clarity on a part of the journey where they never got that before. Uh, so that's uh, that's really, really awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you uh, so much, Lisa. It's been great having you on the podcast and really appreciate uh, you sharing your incredible insights with us. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for no, having me oh look you and i yeah. can sit and chat literally for days without drawing breath i think 
Oh, that's uh, so true. And we'll have to arrange a, a separate follow up for, for us to do exactly that very soon. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, I recommend people um, uh, arrange a session with, uh, with Lisa and her team uh, to explore that. Uh, people also looking to free up time, as regular listeners will know, uh, will know that I run a regular webinar on how to free up 15 hours per week and remove the constant stress of running a business and uh, unlock growth. Um, feedback we get from that session is really fantastic. Uh, you know, we um, particularly because I think people come away with a, a really fundamental understanding of a better approach to delegating and onboarding, managing their teams. Um, we allude to uh, where automation can, can come in, but Lisa's the, the expert on that, uh, but particularly in terms of how to make it even possible to delegate some of the manual processes. Uh, I think people find it really valuable. So you can find out more and register for the next one at airmanual.link forward slash webinar. Uh, and finally, if you found today's episode useful and come on, uh, Lisa provides such incredible value. Uh, we know that you have. So uh, uh, please do share this episode on social media. Tag us in. We'd really appreciate it. Um, ideally, even let us know your favorite key takeaway. What have you done with uh, what you've learned? Uh, whatever feels right to you, we'd really appreciate it. So uh, please do that. Uh, but otherwise, uh, Lisa, thanks again for joining me. It's been fantastic having you on the, uh, on the podcast. Thanks. And uh, everyone else, until next time, have fun. Have fun. <laughs>